Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Legacy Church Podcast. Legacy Church is a multi-generational church that exists to worship God, become like Jesus, and bring hope to our community. Today, we're sharing a message from our current series. We believe that the Word of God is powerful and has real-life application to our lives today. We hope that this message encourages you. Get connected and learn more about us by visiting our website at lgcy.church. I want to read this passage, and we'll go through it, and then, uh, and then we'll stop for a second. But um, 1 Samuel chapter 16. This is a passage. I'm, do we have it? No, that's all right. Um, everyone, pull out your Bible apps on your phone. Pull out your Google if, uh, if the internet gets clogged up, it's because you're all re-downloading the Bible app. It's fine. No, I'm kidding. Um, this is one of those passages I've referred to in conversation a lot, but never preached on. And uh, I think it's timely for today. I think it's timely for this moment. And it's actually something that, uh, as I share today, it's very personal. Extremely personal, but I also feel like uh, many of you, um, as I confirmed in a conversation with Leona uh, this week, that this is on some other people's hearts today. First Samuel 16. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Now fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, and I've chosen one of his sons to be king. It's a really interesting thing I should point out. How long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him? The mourning that the Lord is talking about in this scenario is not just sadness over what's happened with Saul, but it's actually anger. In chapter 15, check this out. Uh, Let me see if I can find it. I was just reading this. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel I regret that I made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. So he's not listening to the Holy Spirit here. He's operating on strength, his own ability, his own wisdom. He's not, he's fallen out of coordination with the Holy Spirit and with the Lord. And this says, and then it says this, this is amazing. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all night anger. Not just mourning sadness that that Saul had failed, but mourning with anger. And the Lord says to him, how long are you going to be angry about this? How long are you going to mourn over this? How long are you going to be sad about this? There's a new season coming. I've anointed a new king. It's time to turn over the page. Yeah, we got to deal with some stuff that Saul did because he's going to leave some ugly decisions for Israel in his wake. But at the same time, we have to pick up a new Uh, We have to turn over a new page and walk into a new season. And that's where we find ourselves. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. So that tells you a little bit about the kind of leadership Saul was operating under. If Saul even hears that I'm going to see Jesse and ask to meet with his sons, Saul will kill me out of his anger. That tells you a little bit about the kind of leader that we're dealing with here in the Old Testament. So the Lord says, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to sacrifice and I'll show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. 
Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him, and they asked, do you come in peace? Let me tell you, when a prophet shows up at your door unexpected, it's usually not good. If it was encouragement, he probably would have sent it via mail. But when a prophet shows up, they're going, what's he doing here? What have we done? Is there sin in our camp? What's going on? And Samuel says, I've come in peace. And Samuel says, yes, in peace, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Samuel, and then Jesse called uh, Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass by before Samuel But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending to the sheep. Samuel said, send for him, and we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one David we're talking about. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. The history, the anointing of one of Israel's most famous kings, one of the heroes of scripture we would call David. As I dive into this, um, Something struck me in, in, uh, in the passage. Any, do we have any readers in here? Anyone who really likes to read? My hand's down, because I don't. Um, my wife loves to read. She's read um, a, a number of books, a lot of books lately. Uh, I don't love reading. I just want the synopsis. Like, just get to the point. Like, I don't need you to take two pages to describe to me the tree. Like the tree was dark, like the dark side of the moon, sagging branches as they blew and rustled through the winds carefully between each. I'm like, just tell me there's a tree and there's wind. Like, I don't need all of this. I get it. Like, I, 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 reading bothers me so much in that sense because I just want to get straight to the point. It's like when you watch a YouTube tutorial on something. And then he's like, well, this is my iPad, and uh, I use this kind of thing. This is my case for my iPad. Um, I'm like, can you just tell me how to update the software, please? Like, just get to that point. But he's got to tell us a whole story about everything that has nothing to do with anything. So, but you know what's interesting about Scripture? Scripture is very condensed. Like, do you realize 13 verses dedicated to the anointing of David as king? This moment, this ceremony, this, this powerful turning point in the history of Scripture, 13 verses, straight to the point. 
Samuel's mourning. Samuel goes. He sees three brothers. We don't even know the names of the other brothers because they're not mentioned. This is the one. Anoint him. Good to go. 13 verses. So when there's detail in Scripture, I start paying a little bit more attention. When, when, when the writer chooses to put a detail in about what he's thinking or what's going on, it's not coincidental. It's not just an aside. It's not a description that's, that could have been tossed away to get to the point. There's a specific reason it's in there. So in verse 6 and 7, it says this. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me. He's looking at the appearance of this of this man and says, sure, surely it's got to be one of these guys. These, these guys seem to have the, the look and the feel and, and the, the confidence and all this stuff. It's, there's got to be one in there that can do the job. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. This is important. The Lord does not look at the, appearance, at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What's interesting about this moment and why it's in there is that Samuel, upon first glance, almost repeated the same mistake Israel made with Saul. He looked and thought, this guy has all the features, all the looks, all the credentials. He's one of these brothers. The Lord said it was going to be one of these guys. Any one of these guys will do based on appearance, based on looking the part. He almost made the same critical error that we dealt with with Saul. See, it's so easy to get caught up on natural or outward appearances, isn't it, right? We look and, and want people that look the part, people that, that, you know, what's the phrase, looks presidential. We want the people that look the part, feel the part, have the confidence for the part, might have the skill for the part. But there's a huge difference when you look at it, when you look at the heart. One of the things that uh, I notice we do it with all the time with outward appearances, we look at talent a lot. We find someone who's talented and skilled, and then we put them on a stage or we put them in a position because they're skilled. We do it with money. We look at the people who are, have accumulated wealth. And we do it in the church a lot. We, we put these people on these, in these positions because they've been successful in business and we assume that they have a heart for ministry too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I've sat on countless boards where I've seen people bring in wisdom that I go, yeah, I understand. That makes sense in the business world. But we're called to a different economy in this world. We're called to not operate under Earth's economy. We're called to operate under heaven's economy. And in heaven, there's a little bit more resource and wealth than you've made down here. I trust that king who manages that storehouse up there. But we look at appearance and go, all these things seem to, seem to fit into place, so this must be the person. We even do it with credentials. I can't tell you how many pastors I've seen and met who have gone through Bible college and have degree after degree after degree, but when they preach and when they serve and when they lead, there's no power. It's all knowledge. It's all routine. And you can sense it. 
I've seen this time and time and time again in the music industry. I've been in the music industry for about, goodness, 18 years. I went on my first um, tour bus tour when I was 18 years old. Uh, funny story, um, I was in Bible college and um, I had, I hope, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. Um, I was dating a girl in high school who I was convinced I was going to marry. Um, one of those people that when you look back at it, you go, oh, thank, Lord. thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that that ended. But I was in Bible college and I thought, I'm gonna, it's all good. High school girlfriend that I thought I was gonna marry, it's fine. I'm going to Bible college this year and there's gonna be a lot of godly, beautiful Christian women. Um, and I got there and said, well, this doesn't look like the brochures. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but I was so down and like, maybe, maybe the Lord needs to say, Josh, how long will you mourn over a season in a relationship that's over? That's what I needed at that moment. I was so just depressed and bummed out. And this friend of mine comes to me and goes, hey, want to go on tour and sell merchandise for bands? And I thought, well, what are the schedule? And he goes, you'd be on tour for about six months. And you would get to see the whole United States like twice over. You'd be on a tour bus. You'd be flying here and there and seeing everything. I go, and I go, does it pay? He goes, yeah, it's like 50 bucks a day. I go, he goes, but you don't have any expenses. So it's just like cash in your pocket. And I'm like at 18, I'm like, all right, let's do it. So I dropped out of Bible college to go sell t-shirts. Um, that made no sense at the time. But in that, in that season, I got to see a lot of things that was really interesting to me. I realized that there was a lot of people um, out there doing music in the name of Jesus that I wondered what their actual relationship was with him. One of the things I noticed um, in the industry was how much people would overlook things because people were talented. How much you would let dysfunction slide because they had charisma. How much manipulation went on to keep the show on the road and to keep the thing together and to keep people showing up at the concerts and keep the ticket sales going and the bank accounts flowing, they would turn their blind eye to a lot of stuff if you were talented. And that hurt me, I think. I'm stubborn to a point sometimes in which I don't care how it affects my career or what people think of me I can't go on with something that is phony or fake or not right. Now, I'm not saying that about the vast majority of the Christian music industry is great people. The vast majority. Like, uh, let me say that. There's, there's, um, there is a lot of good 
people and actually extremely anointed people who on the surface you would go, That's, that person feels very shallow and you get to know them and they are actually a very, uh, have an incredible relationship with the Lord, walk in the Holy Spirit, listen, sensitive. But what is it about us that wants the person that looks the part and has the talent, and has the ability and the confidence? Why do we look for that so much? And why do we instantly just stop there? We get so caught up on appearances. You know what we also do, though? We get caught up on the appearances when somebody falls into failure or sin. We cast them out. The minute things get a little bit icky, it's just easier to say, yeah, get rid of them. Get them out. Can you imagine if we did that with David? We not only look for people who look the part and we put them into places even though they're not anointed for it, we'll toss anointed people overboard the minute they don't look and add up to the expectations we had for them. We do it both ways. We're so caught up on appearances, but God is not up for appearances. He's looking at the heart. He's looking at what's in here. You know, I don't know Justin Bieber personally. I've never met him. And I remember there was a time where he was professing his faith very publicly. And he still is. But he was, he was sharing very openly about it. And then, you know, a news thing comes out and he's drugs, drinking, arrested, whatever, right? And immediately people go, ah, yeah, see, there it is. Yeah, yeah, phony, just saying it, you know, proclaiming Christ because it's just a new trend or whatever. I remember saying to someone, you have no idea what his 3 a.m. conversations with Jesus look like. Because I rather have a repentant guy at 3 a.m. than somebody who shows up every Sunday acting like everything's okay when it clearly isn't. I rather see somebody broken before the Lord aware of their sin, aware of their shortcoming, even if it's messy. We're so caught up in appearances. As you look through scripture, and as I've lived out scripture, just lived out my life in ministry, I've realized there's a huge difference between appearance and anointing. Huge difference between talent and anointing. There are some people that are very talented and they can move a room with talent. And there are other people that don't have nearly the amount of talent that when they open their mouth, heaven shifts. Heaven opens. People are changed. When there's anointing, it's very evident It's very evident that there's something special. I remember a few, uh, gosh, not a few years ago, like many years ago, um, I was leading worship at this, what was I doing? I was, playing, I was playing in like a punk pop band. We were playing at this big conference called Pitch and Praise in Stainer. Yeah, Stainer. And, um, you know, the night's over. It's about 11 o'clock. I'm packing up my drum stuff backstage. And this this woman walks by me awkwardly carrying this keyboard. She's in a hoodie and track pants and, you know, like 
kind of looks like, you know, she's ready for bed. She's kind of just like this late at night. And she's, so we help her get this keyboard on stage. And she's like, oh, thank you so much. And we meet her and she's really sweet. And uh, I just figured she was a volunteer. Like I, I didn't really think much of it. So I'm back there packing stuff up and someone starts singing on the piano. Just like something very simple. Just goes like, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And I'm like, she sang it better than I did. But she, I, I'm, I walk around the corner and go, who is that? Who is that? And I just stood there for a second. And as she just sound checked a worship song, I just wanted to stay in that space. I didn't want to leave. And nor did anyone else in the room. Like about 3,000 kids had dispersed off. But there was about 10 or 12 people sitting around talking. And they yelled out, can you sing another one? So she sang another worship song just to sound check. And then another one. And people started trickling in from around this campgrounds. Then there was 150 people there all of a sudden. So she did another one. An hour and 20 minutes later, there was about 1,000 people in this tent for an impromptu worship time. And there were tears, and it was about 12.30 in the morning, and the Lord was moving in a powerful way. And that person was Amanda Cook. I didn't know her at the time. I didn't know anything about her. And she's written some of the most influential worship songs in the last 10 years. She's somebody who's anointed. Anointed first, and the talent came with it. See, talent will always follow anointing. Anointing doesn't always follow talent. There's a big difference between appearance and anointing, though. There are some people that have all the looks of anointing, but they don't carry it. And when you're anointed, you don't strive, you just be. Everything in your life becomes the overflow of your relationship with the Lord. This is like what David's going through in this moment. Everything in his life and that he would literally use in his, uh, in his leadership with Goliath and leading the people of Israel through multiple battles would come from this relationship he had with the Lord. There's a difference between the kind of confidence that comes from our appearance or talent than the kind of confidence that comes from our anointing. There's so many leaders I've met that are so confident in their gifting because they're confident actually in the anointing. But then I've met other people that are so confident in their talent that when anything gets off track, they freeze. That's why I'm so thankful for this morning where the team was just able to understand the, mom the moment we are sitting in and respond to that. That's what comes with anointing. Talented people would miss the moment to continue with the plan. Anointed people sense the moment and step into it. One thing that really strikes me about this passage is we see that David is anointed as king. We see that he's the one that was chosen. But he wasn't even invited to the party. He's out in the field. Check this out in verse 8 to 11. Let me pull this up here. Then Jesse called Abed 
uh, Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but, Shammah, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And there is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending to the sheep. Check this out. When Samuel showed up, it said, take, take a heifer and make a sacrifice. There would have been a, a big feast attached to, attached to this. There would have been a big dinner in which Samuel would have come and had uh, a feast with Jesse and the brothers, and they would anoint the king. It would be this special moment. It, it wasn't Jesse didn't, or Samuel didn't just show up to pour the oil out and then move on. There was a whole banquet attached to this. David wasn't even invited Everyone's having a feast and a party, and David wasn't even invited to the party. Chances are he didn't even know this was happening. He was completely left out. Now, I know how upset my kids get if I take one of them to Chick-fil-A and not the other. Like, I have said multiple times to both kids, Adelaide, I know you're in the front row, I've said to both kids, you better throw out that garbage from Chick-fil-A or that slushy or that McFlurry cup so your sister doesn't see it. Or else I will have big problems on my hands. Jesse's not even invited to the party at all. Check this out. In verse 10 or 11, he says, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? We heard about Shammah, Abinadab, Eliab. And Jesse goes, there is still the youngest. So not only is David not invited to the party, his father doesn't even mention him by name. He doesn't even utter his name. He is the youngest. That's his identity the least of these, the lowest in command, just the youngest. And it made me wonder two things. Have you ever felt like there's a party going on that you weren't invited to? Have you felt like everybody has been lined up to receive the blessing, receive the opportunity, and receive the anointing. But you weren't even invited. Furthermore, they don't even know your name. Weren't even thought of. I get this picture of these brothers standing in a line before Samuel, like, you know, the bachelorette, right? In their best clothes, saying, pick me, pick me. Just like, you know, stone cold look on their face, probably trying to flex their biceps a little bit so that they seem very, very um, king-like like Saul was. Saul was a, a, an impressive stature man, trying to seem very king-like. And there's David just tending the sheep in the field, not invited, not even recognized by name. I know what that feels like. 
I know what it feels like to see people positioning themselves, carrying all the right appearances, working all the right rooms, spending all the big marketing dollars, having all the Instagram pictures, the humble brags, the awards that they applied for themselves and paid for. It's true. Everyone else lining up to look impressive. And everyone running to them because they have the talent, the look, the charisma. And here I am. God, do you got anything left for me? Here I am just leading worship at church and I don't think anyone even knows my name. You know, this season's been hard for me. Actually, I shouldn't say that. It actually hasn't been hard for me because of some of the breaking I've gone through in other seasons in life. You know, I applied for a job in the fall. Uh, no, in the spring, early this winter, I guess. And uh, had five interviews at this, at this church and I was overqualified. And I thought it was all looking good. Last minute they said no. In fact, they didn't hire anyone. I was the only guy they were interviewing. And then they reposted it and I go, how did they not want... And week after week, instead of traveling around like I used to, leading worship in Calgary or Edmonton or PEI or Indiana or Texas or wherever, some weeks I'm just playing drums here. I don't say that as a humble brag at all. I've actually found joy in that in this season. I've actually thanked God for that break of tucking me away for a little bit. But I know what it's like to feel overlooked and passed over because people looked for the appearance and not the anointing. I wrote this song several years ago. It came out of one of those nights where you just find yourself just done. I wrote a song in... Um, there's a wasp here. Get behind me, Satan. Um, I don't know if I should, this could be interesting. I want to say I have the confidence to squat this thing, but there we go. All right. Oh, hold on, I'm going to crush the head of the serpent right now. I'm sorry if there's people uh, who are animal rights people right now. I'm about to uh, get... I'm about to get some emails today. Um, where was I? Yes. I wrote this song about 13 minutes, like literally 13 minutes, because every single line of it Matt, meant something to me. It says, I know the feeling where nobody knows my name. I've been the broken, I've been the cripple, and I've been the sinner, and I've been the saint. I've danced upon the tension, a place where water and wine collide, speaking about believing for something even when you're not holding on to it. 
believing for wine when you're holding on to water. Wondering if I've been rejected and wondering if I've been left behind. Second verse says, I've been the beggar selling all I have to get by. True. I've been the rambler, I've been the gambler, but it's left me empty each time. And I've been cut open, painting my scars for the world to see. This line still hurts when I say it. And I've been the headline of the summer, wondering what people think when they see me. I wrote that in the midst of a prophetic word I was given in this time. You know, we had been through a whirlwind of ministry in a young age. You know, when I was about 25 or 26, our young adults ministry was about 300. Well, we would have, yeah, 24. Yeah, we had a young adults ministry about 300 or so out in Ajax and we'd see thousands come through for our big events. And then we did a tour across Canada and, you know, reached 10,000 people in the course of two and a half weeks across Canada with this ministry. And it was on TV and all this, this great stuff, right? Just, just riding the roller coaster of ministry. As a new dad, um, you know, we got married and uh, then found out about three months, maybe less later that we were expecting. And everything in that ministry had the appearance of looking great, but inside I was hurting. And um, I ended up leaving ministry for a year. It broke me down completely. I took a year off. I didn't preach. I didn't lead worship. I didn't play an instrument or anything. And, you know, ever since then, I'd said I'd felt like everyone still sees me as the broken guy. Like I was there but now I'm here in everyone's eyes. And I'm watching people thrive and living their best life. And I go, I'll just take the leftovers. Like I'll just take the conference dates that the other people don't want to do because they say it's not enough money. I'll take those. Like, God, do you have anything for me? Anything at all. And I want to share with you this prophetic word I was given because I think it's going to speak to some people today. Because the Lord told me last night, he said, share your story because there's other people walking through the exact same thing today. These people said, these pastors came um, to a conference that ended up getting canceled. But they said, we'd already booked our flights. We want to come to Toronto and see it. We ended up having this impromptu worship night in someone's basement, believe it or not. Uh, had about 60 people jammed into a basement and they began speaking prophetically over people. And I'm sitting here going, this conference just got canceled that I was putting on. I've got nothing on my radar. I don't know what my life's about anymore. Am I even called to ministry anymore? Am I even anointed anymore? Has it left me? Has it departed me? And this, uh, this pastor, her name's Tarn Cross, she says to me, Josh, you are about to walk into a hidden season in which you are going to be tucked away and you are going to be like an arrow that's being pulled back. 
And as this arrow gets pulled back, you are actually going to move backwards. Everyone else is going to be moving forward. You're actually going to be pulled further and further and further back. And you're going to watch your peers succeed in front of you and get opportunities and blessing and accolades. But you are going to be pulled back further and further and further. And there's going to be so much tension put on this arrow that you're going to beg the Lord to let it go. Just let it go. But the more attention that the Lord places on this arrow and the more tension that you experience, the further it gets pulled back. When the Lord said it's time to go, it will fly further and faster than everyone that you just stepped back from. And let me tell you this. This is not a competition. This has nothing to do with me feeling like I need to be further along than anybody else. It has everything to do with feeling like the Lord has set me back for a season. Like things have gone backwards. Like things have not worked. And let me tell you, with every pulling of that arrow, it hurts. With every person that I invested my time and gave uh, hours and days and years of investment into pastoring and walking with, and they don't call you back, or they unfriend you on Facebook or whatever, or they don't even return a text message, I feel that arrow being pulled back. With every time I release new music or release something and nobody cares and nobody heard it and nobody listened to it, I feel that arrow getting pulled back. With every, with every church job that I applied to that wouldn't even give me an interview, I feel that arrow being pulled back. With every month that comes when I go, Lord, where is our rent coming from today? Where, how are we going to get through this month? How are we going to pay our bills? Just like the basic of bills, not like the extras, just the basics. I feel that arrow being pulled back. I feel the tension. And I'm telling you, right now, even today, I go, Lord, would you please just let it go? I can't take any more. I can't take this season of being pulled back and feeling like everything else and everyone else is succeeding, but I am stuck. Actually, I'm not just stuck. I am being set further back. I feel like you're in a season as a church like that right now. That there was a time where it was advanced time. But now this is a season where you feel, I don't want to say stuck, but you feel like every step is stepping out of mud and clay. There's weight to every step. Every step feels heavier than the last. But I'm telling you that the Lord does not do that to set you back. He does that to, to send you forward. He does not pull you back just to pull you back. He pulls you back so he can launch you forward. As I've said many times, I actually believe that this is a season in which the Lord is pulling this community back individually and saying, where is your identity found? Who are you outside of your calling? Who are you outside of your job? Who are you without this church? 
Who are you without this, this group of family, uh, this, this, this church family? Who are you without this community? Is your identity in the community or is your identity in me? I believe this is a season in which the Lord is rewriting a lot of people's identity and a lot of things that people have put their confidence in. Because in order for the Lord to birth something new, he needs to tear down what was. Or else you will build on a faulty foundation. And unless you're willing to actually pull the walls off and see whether there's mold in the house, not just one room, but all the rooms... Because when mold happens, you think it's just one spot. No, no, it's spread. It's spread to rooms that you didn't even know existed in your house. It's spread to rooms that you don't even use. And unless you're willing to rid the whole house of mold, it'll just keep coming back and repeating itself. There's no quick fix when you're asking God to move you forward. There's no quick advance. There's only being pulled back. And I feel what David's feeling. You couldn't have even invited me to the party. I was so little on your radar that you didn't even think to bring me here. You didn't even bother. Church, I feel like there's some people in this room who feel very small and overlooked today. That you've watched other people even with half the giftings you have, succeed. You feel like you're David in the field today. Just wandering, looking after sheep. Linda, you can come, you can come back now. Not invited to the party. mundane tasks and maybe you feel like you're in those mundane tasks right now but while David was learning how to lead a bunch of stubborn sheep God was prepping him to lead a nation of stubborn people and while David was slaying the bear and the lion that would come after the sheep with a sling and a stone. The Lord was prepping him to take down giants. And so many people never get to take down giants in their life because they're not willing to be unknown in the field. Because being unknown and left out and left behind is too painful. You don't receive anointing without being pressed and broken. And there are two kinds of people. Those who want to seek talent and success and those who want to be anointed. There's only one thing that includes both. You don't get anointing by pursuing talent and success. Talent and success will always follow anointing. My word for this church today, individually, 
Are you willing to embrace being nameless? Are you willing to embrace being left out, left behind, so that you can be pressed, even crushed? but receive the anointing that God has for your life. I believe there is anointing on your pastors. Pastor Matt and Rachel, I've gotten to know them pretty well. And I can sniff out a phony. There's anointing on their lives. And I'm telling you, it is only going to get stronger because they've embraced the crushing of this season. I believe that there is a season coming for Legacy Church. It's not today. I wish I could say it's coming tomorrow, but I don't think it is. That's the most depressing message preacher could give don't you want to hear your victories coming tomorrow just one more lap just walk one more lap around Jericho those walls will come down I don't know if you're on day six though and I'm telling you that because I believe that I'm here to try to encourage you that the Lord would give you the endurance for the season ahead because there is an anointing at the other end of it And if you want the anointing, you got to go through it. I wish there was a rah-rah ending to this message. Pastor Matt probably would find one. He'd get up here and then I'd be shouting and yelling and everyone would be cheering and it would be great. I just don't think that's what today is. Amber, I just, I felt like I had a word for you earlier today. And um, you were leading. So I saw you there. And I felt like the Lord say that you have chosen a path of pure heart. You've watched others friends, whatever. Choose to be known. You've been okay to be unknown. And there's a pureness and a sweetness that comes with that. Because I don't want to find the brothers. I'm looking for the Davids in the field that are just showing up. Because you've chosen to be unknown, the Lord will make you known. Others chose to choose to be known by man's approval and accolades. You've chosen to be known by the Lord. In that secret place that you have found yourself in, he is speaking. He's actually showing you a roadmap, actually. It's like he's telling you which turns to take. 
And though it feels insignificant, at the end of the journey, you're going to wake up in a place that is better than you could have ever dreamed. Don't look for shortcuts. They don't exist. Leona, I just need to, to I mean, I know I've had the chance to encourage you several times, but um, one of the things I, I recognize when, when you lead, there is a power that comes with your leadership and your voice that is like a war cry. There are others that have a sweetness that it just brings me, it's such a purity and sweetness. There are others that go get out of her way because she's taking down things in the spiritual realm right now and I do not want to get in that girl's way. There is a voice that has been placed in you to do battle in private. that there's actually an anointing on you to do battle for your pastors right now. That that weapon and that war cry is, is actually, um, yeah, I actually see, see as you being like an armor bearer and a sword bearer for this church in the spiritual sense. Don't silence your voice. realize that when you sing there's some people when they sing heaven opens and there's other people when they sing hell's closed up and hell's shut down and you shut down the enemy when you sing Simon I, I want to encourage you as well um, there's wisdom on your life. There's practical wisdom on your life. But the Lord's about to increase your spiritual wisdom. He's going to begin to show you things that make no sense practically. Both in, in business and, and in relation to ministry. There's going to be things the Lord's going to ask you to do in this coming season that make zero sense to the rest of the world around you. But you're going to know it's Him. You know, when people ask, like, how do you begin to hear the voice of God and, and prophesy and speak? I said, you just be obedient once, and then you be obedient again, and then you start to know. You start it's kind of like when, you know, when mom and dad call into the yard for the kids, they begin to recognize the voice. You're going to begin to recognize a new voice in your life spiritually over things that are going to, um, you're going to begin to hear a spiritual voice from the Holy Spirit about things in business. And he's going to begin to speak into that world in a very profound sense. I think he has already, but I think it's actually going to really increase in this next season. I, I truly believe that there's a day 
a blessing coming for this church or else I wouldn't be here. If I didn't think that there's hope for Legacy Church, I wouldn't waste my time. I don't know why the Lord has our family here. I'm starting to find out. Yeah, Ty, I... (laughs) sense there's been some seasons of almost like anger and frustration and like you feel like you're beating your head against a brick wall and you feel like you can't find breakthrough and if there was an opportunity for someone to wrong you it's like everybody who had the chance took it. Like I actually sense that there's some people that have really betrayed you in in other areas of life and really let you down. And I was saying to my wife the other day, there's someone that really hurt me personally. And every time I see them on Instagram and Facebook, I get mad. I said to my wife, I need to let that go. And I need to ask the Lord to take over that for me. My anger is righteous. My anger is justified. God's angry with me. But I need to let him take it all. And I just really want to, I just really sense that the Lord is going to, is asking you to release some things. And the things that you release to him will come back tenfold. Like the the unpaid invoices that you want to chase down. Is that is that am I hitting something there? Will come back to you tenfold. The debts you forgive others of will be repaid to you with dividends. Because that's how God's kingdom works. I really believe that the Lord is going to actually set you free. And actually, I'm going to pray for you right now. Lord, I pray right now. Yeah, I pray over Ty right now, Lord, that you would release peace over him. God, release supernatural forgiveness over his life right now. Release the power of forgiveness that only comes from you. Lord, grant him the kind of forgiveness Christ had on the cross where he said, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, people don't, didn't realize what they were doing. Yeah, I pray that all ties and chains that are tied to this hurt and this brokenness and these broken relationships would be broken right now in the name of Jesus. I pray those chains would fall, they'd be released, there would no no longer be a tie, there would no longer be a connection to those things. I pray for a supernatural freedom right now. That when Ty thinks of names and businesses and people, that he he wouldn't even remember what the hurt was about. I pray you'd actually replace that. 
God, I pray that you would bless him for this, that you would return to him what's been lost, what's been stolen, what's been taken, what's been taken advantage of. And would you elevate him? We don't ask that you would punish others, but we ask that you would elevate him. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. church this morning um, I want you to know that your pastors have looked ahead and said we're willing to be David's in the field in this season we're willing to go through the hard stuff so that we can receive the anointing for our church so this morning you're in this place and as a church you're saying God I don't care if the world knows me I don't care if legacy's on the map I don't care if <laughs> I don't care what part I play I just want to see God anoint my life and anoint this church for his glory this morning I'm going to ask you to stand as we pray for this church I want to pray over both um you, but I want to pray over the church. God, right now, um, there's so many of us that are hurting, that are begging for the season of be feeling unknown, feeling left behind, feeling rejected, feeling set back. We're begging for it at an end, Lord. But Lord, I pray you would give us the strength, the wisdom, the endurance to embrace where you've called us to be in this season. God, for those who feel like just giving up right now, I pray that you'd surround them and remind them that you know their name. That you're with them. That you're close. God, I pray right now over this church. I pray that the season that you have ahead for this church and as we as we continue to seek to see lost people find you, Jesus. I pray you do whatever you have to do in us for your church. Break us, mold us, tear us open if you need to. We want to be part of your church and we want to be part of seeing your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. So do what you got to do in us and in this church, Lord. Do whatever you got to do. We're ready. Go with us, Lord. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on our website at lgcy.church.